words on water. This episode is brought to you by Flowworks. Flowworks is a powerful web-based suite of monitoring, analysis, and reporting tools, enabling you to efficiently manage all of your monitoring systems. Perform real-time analysis, check flow monitoring status, and set alarms through a single interface. Flowworks lets you transform raw data into actionable information. Their platform accepts all types of data from any source, real-time, historic, wireless, satellite, SCADA, public data sets including USGS, NOAA, and weather forecasts. It doesn't matter where the data originates. With their customized cloud storage and machine learning enhanced features, Flowworks has the flexibility and scalability to help you grow your monitoring network and get more value from your data. Visit them online at flowworks.com. Welcome to Words on Water, a podcast from the Water Environment Federation. This is the host, Travis Loop. So much conversation about coronavirus for the past six months, a lot of issues involved for the water sector. Got some great perspective on it today for this episode from Kevin Marsh, president of Flowworks. Kevin, thanks for coming back on the podcast. Uh, You bet, Travis. I, I love your podcast and I love to participate. Awesome. Well, I, I'm glad we could talk about coronavirus. Like I said, it's been uh, a big factor for our sector for the past six months or so. And uh, you were sharing some pretty uh, interesting perspective on coronavirus and and how you started tuning into the issues. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of a funny thing. Um, And if I if I really look at it, you know, big picture, I can I can start the dotted lines as far back as 15 years ago. I I, I read this really obscure article uh, out of Japan about uh, they've got a company that's called Toto and they're the largest toilet manufacturer in Japan. And again, you know, this is over a decade ago, they introduced a toilet that could actually be used to uh, measure a person's sugar levels, uh, blood pressure, body fat, weight, all of that just from, you know, normal toilet use, if you will. And it it would analyze all that and transmit the data to your personal, you know, health uh, professional, doctor, hospital, whatever. And and I thought that was pretty interesting and and then ultimately kind of forgettable and I didn't think about it again. That's a pretty, Uh, that's a pretty high tech, that's a pretty high tech (laughs) toilet. I know they like to do that in Japan. That's, uh, that's, I could see that becoming more prevalent in the future, right? As a way to, to monitor health and other issues. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and I thought that was pretty cool. And, you know, I think it was insanely expensive too, by the way, but that's just one of those things. But, uh, and, and again, you know, that kind of stuff will probably come down in price. But then interestingly enough, I got to thinking about it again, when last year I read an article out of uh, Tempe, Arizona. Now, again, this is before, you know, coronavirus uh, pandemic, all of that. And uh, Tempe, 
uh, was using something called wastewater-based epidemiology, uh, to, and, and, and that's basically sampling wastewater for, for something that might be a marker or an indicator of something that's happening in the community from a health standpoint. And what they were trying to do was understand the presence of opioids Mm. Uh, in, in the greater Tempe area. And so they got together with uh, some smart folks uh, at Arizona State University and they started sampling wastewater, analyzing it in, in the lab uh, to determine the concentrations of, you know, drugs like heroin, Oxycontin, fentanyl, et cetera, all of that. And this is all part of a goal that the city apparently had, which is a really noble goal, I, I'll say, is that they wanted to end or eliminate uh, opioid-related deaths and overdoses by 2025. Mm. And and they've and this is obviously just a, a part of it, but they felt like understanding the changing trends with the presence of uh, opioid, uh, uh, you know, in different parts of the city, different sewer sheds, uh, that that would be a great tool that they could use to determine the kind of, you know, educational efforts, uh, outreach, things that they need to do, and just understand how, how big the problem is. Yeah, that's uh, it's very interesting. I remember seeing articles about that uh, wastewater based epidemiology or really uh, looking at the presence of, like you said, drugs and narcotics and so forth in in sewers and, and seeing what that could tell them about yeah. public health and the use of these things. So, you know, fast forward, I guess, <laughs> to to spring here right. and coronavirus uh, taking hold. And, you know, you continuing to tune in to news and, and water sector information. What did you what did you see happening then with wastewater epidemiology and coronavirus? Yeah, so it was it was late March, you know, probably more realistically the beginning of April. But this news came out of the Netherlands, of all places, that mm. um, that some scientists there were able to isolate the uh, the SARS-CoV-2 virus of course that's the, that's the virus that you know we're all worried about and that leads to to covid-19 but they were able to isolate SARS-CoV-2 in wastewater samples and uh, you know that was a big breakthrough and and so they 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 released a preprint of a paper did a big news release it got a ton of attention somehow I saw it, I, you know, it was probably in my news feed, you know, and yeah. I've got persistent search on, you know, words like sewers and, and whatnot. Uh, but uh, that immediately led others around the world and including the United States to, to try to replicate it, do the same thing. And it became pretty clear pretty quickly that, that isolating the virus and understanding the concentrations was possible. But even more importantly, what, what they started to do was analyze the data and they realized that sampling wastewater for the virus could actually serve as an effective early warning system for the spread of COVID-19 in a community. And that's because humans that, that have the virus or have COVID actually shed the virus, uh, you know, through, uh, uh, you know, human waste, mm. sometimes as much as, you know, 10 to 14 days before they become symptomatic. So it, it can be the presence of it in wastewater uh, can actually tell you that uh, you're going to have more uh, cases and probably, you know, hospitalizations and so on in the coming uh, days and weeks. 
Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, I that I remember that news out of the Netherlands, and then stories started popping up around the United States about about this and and uh, people trying to be involved. And the thing I've seen a lot of stories about are universities yeah. uh, using it as a way to test, you know, dorm by dorm yep. for the presence right. of coronavirus, and then therefore turn and say, "Hey, students, we need to test you guys." Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, very, very interesting. Well, and so, the, the, the university thing, I'll just uh, yeah. cap off because I've, I've spoken to a number of universities, both from a research standpoint, but also from a, a surveillance standpoint. And mm-hmm. and it, it, that's a that's a great microcosm for why this is such a great idea, because if you were to take one dorm, which might have, you know, several hundred students in it, if you wanted to, if you had to test every one of those students every day, that's a that's a pretty big lift for any university. And uh, cost it, too, right? Yes. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Yes. And <laughs> but if you if instead you sample the wastewater every day that's coming out of that particular dorm and and, and you consistently are not seeing any virus, then you're, you're pretty certain that things are under control at the moment and you don't need that daily testing. If you do see presence of virus, then it's time to go in and start testing individuals and figure out which ones you know have it and get them isolated as quickly as possible yeah it's been it's been very interesting to see i was uh i i live in wilmington north carolina where actually my alma mater is located and they went with this approach and i remember that it it popped up in a dorm's wastewater and then they went and they had tested 300 students and they found the two students you know out of those 300 (laughs) that that had the virus incredible is so that, is that unc wilmington by any chance that's unc wilmington yeah my my nephew is a freshman there and and oh. uh, and yeah and, and and he's having that tough challenge of freshman year this year because oh. it's it, it's just it, it's it's not it's not normal as we all know I, yeah i feel i feel for those students that have never even been to college and then this is their experience so, you know that this this strange <laughs> environment well I'm I'm about ten minutes away from campus, so let me know if I can lend a hand with that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, so let's fold into to data analytics yeah. and and this idea. What what opportunities and and challenges? What what are the role you see for data analytics with all this? Yeah. So okay. So you know, back to April, you know, May that time period. I'm reading all these papers. There's stuff in the popular press. There's these preprints coming out, and I'm I'm finding all of it just super interesting, just because it's it's scientifically it's intriguing yeah. to me but then the more i thought about it it occurred to me that some of the weaknesses uh that that are out there in wastewater based epidemiology could actually be solved by flowworks and 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 so here's the thing is that it's the concentration of SARS-CoV-2 that's being measured in the sewage and 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 so that's what's important and so when you when you hear about this they're trying they're not just it's not binary that it exists or it doesn't exist they Mm. want to understand the concentration and then what they can look at is trends they can see is are the concentrations rising are they falling are they steady and these in the so decision making around public health is being made or could be made based on that but there's going to be times like during and immediately after rain events that virus concentrations, they're going to be artificially diluted by infiltration and inflow, I and I. And almost everybody listening to this podcast will be familiar with I and I and, and why that would be the case. So as a community, if you don't normalize your data for this dilution, you might get the false sense that the community spread is decreasing. And and you don't want that. Okay. And and so uh, it, it that was like the light bulb moment for me. I, I thought this is a problem. 
Mm. INI is going to potentially make people think that they've got less of a virus problem in their community. And you might remember that two years ago on this very podcast, we talked about something that we call infinity INI, which is yeah. that then that's Flowworks machine learning based tool that calculates INI automatically in a near real time. And, you know, when we developed that, of course, this was way pre-COVID, but you know we weren't thinking about wastewater-based epidemiology. <laughs> but it became pretty obvious to me that hey, you know, here's here's something that we can bring to the table that can really help with uh, with pandemic and understanding community spread and ultimately save some lives. Wow. I, I, side note, I love that about te- technology and innovation is that something was created for one purpose and then finds another application later. Just it's it's so cool how that oh, happens. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, ser- it's serendipity. It, it, it's a, and it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. So an effective approach then for wastewater epidemiology and for tracking, you know, presence of, of coronavirus, then what, what would need to happen to make that really effective and optimal? Yeah, so and, and right now I'll sort of talk about the current state as I see it is, is there's still a lot of pilot projects going on and people are using the information, I think, a little bit on the fringes. But, you know, the whole idea is, is this has to be scaled up. Mm. And, and so it, what, what you're seeing right now is at best sampling two to three times a week. Uh, you're talking about pretty expensive, uh, you know, testing protocols. They haven't been refined, uh, you know, as much as they could be, as much as they will. Uh, some of the technologies um, will probably come down in, in cost as you get more scale on the manufacture of equipment and as they, you know, refine some of these techniques. Um, I personally, I think that the future of this is sampling in a community every day and and probably not only at the treatment plant which is where most of the sampling is taking place right now but i think what you'll do is is that it'll be much like uh for our listeners that are familiar with ini studies you know um ini is definitely a problem at the treatment plant but that's not where you measure it what you do is is you try to isolate up within the collection system you know what are what parts of the uh, sewer shed are the biggest contributors to the INI? Well, that's perfectly analogous to something um, uh, in a pandemic. If instead of just knowing that a particular you know city of a certain size has got a rising and falling concentration of viral load, let's move up. Let's move the sampling up into the collection system and start isolating. It might be certain parts of the city, certain neighborhoods uh, where most of the problem occurs. And that's where you need to start doing, you know, uh, more outreach, uh, more um, uh, individual testing to try to get things under control. Oh, yeah. Very interesting. Um, And I can see that this type of science you know, we're we're piloting and exploring and developing it now, but it could have all kinds of applications in the future, just like we said with the other technology, you know. Um, So are there there some places where you're uh, getting involved in some of these efforts? Yeah, uh, we are. Um, There's, we're actively involved in pilot projects right now in the United States and Canada, uh, not outside of that area, not for any particular reason. This is completely and perfect 
directly applicable to any, you know, developed country that that has a um, a sewer system. But uh, now those communities at the moment are all, you know, looking for anonymity, um, and that's mm-hmm. fine. I, I'm perfectly sure. good with that. Um, but and again, the goal though is for us to be able to take their existing infrastructure, so what they've already got in place, whether it's lift stations, treatment plant, and we take data from from them, and we provide them with uh, the normalization data so that they can basically subtract the the INI flow you know from their regular flows so that the concentrations actually make sense so it normalizes those now I so I will give a hat tip to Notre Dame University though since the beginning of our efforts on this they we've been working very closely with some researchers there that are very active in this uh, area and they've been great uh, they've loved what we're doing on the INI side we also have some routines that we can bring in so that we can normalize data you know for temperature for instance or uh, or pH uh, some other areas where researchers are trying to understand do these things affect the viral concentrations and so and kind of circling back to your question a moment ago to get this to scale what's going to really have to happen is instead of in, in, instead of everybody working on their 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 laptop or their their pc and running the data individually i imagine a you know a future where this data is automatically coming to companies like flowworks where mm-hmm. we can normalize the data and immediately turn it back around so that it actually makes sense and every every community then would be able to share and benefit from the research that's being done by other researchers and communities so you know these algorithms are going to start being developed to mm-hmm. uh, to normalize again for INI or uh, normalize for temperature for flow rate for pH things of that nature and we are perfectly suited to be, you know, if not the platform for that, at least one of them. Sure. So in these communities where it's being piloted and, and explored and developed, uh, you obviously you have a I'm trying to just think about who's involved. So you yeah. have the the local utility who's got to be part of it. But then you have like academics and researchers That's from right. that kind of scientific community, academic community. And then you also have uh, like health officials that are That's part right. of this. That's right. Okay. Yeah, and that's and and that's that's a bit unusual. Uh, and I've been in I've been in you know water wastewater on the municipal side of things for you know a little over thirty years. And I will tell you that it's not it's not necessarily natural for those people to come together in the same room. And, and well, and and of course this year nobody comes together in the same room. So um, right. so even if you want to cooperate, uh, there's some big challenges involved. And so I will tell you that I, I you know I'm finding that some of the the biggest uh, friction that we're getting here, and it's 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 just it's let's call it institutional friction. It's that the the public health and the epidemiology side, those people are not necessarily in regular contact with, nor do they even know who's running the collection system or who's running the treatment plant where the samples are taking place. And uh, and then then you add in the whole, you know, is there a university involved and is mm-hmm. uh, you know researchers and those people are not used to necessarily working with. Uh, you know, uh, municipalities and and the people on that side. So I've found myself in some cases, you know, being a bit of a go-between where I'm trying to coordinate uh, bringing the data into into FlowWorks because uh, the 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 communication links are maybe not as strong uh, between the players. All right. Well, there's another opportunity there to yes. forge some new relationships here, right? <laughs> That's fine. Need to benefit from that. That's right. Um, well, Kevin, you know, you mentioned how long you've been involved in these circles. Um, and uh, like we've said before, I say all the time, technology is changing by the moment. Um, so I'm just curious, uh, you know, 
what else might be new with in the world of machine learning and and data analytics? Yeah, so that's you know, as you know, that's that that is an area that's just moving at breakneck speed. Uh, we, you know, of course, it, uh, you know, our job is to keep up with that because that is our business. Um, you know, I, I mentioned this Infinity I and I that we rolled out a couple of years ago last year on this podcast. We talked about some uh, predictive analytics that that we've built into our system. But what we started finding out as we were rolling out these, you know, really sophisticated tools, is that a lot of our clients. Uh, the data that they had basically lacked um, consistently good quality. Mm. And there's lots of reasons for that. I mean, it, it, there's different types of sensors out there. Sometimes they foul. Uh, you wind up with dead batteries. Uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on why from time to time data might not be of the best quality. And so what we've been doing really for the last 12 months is putting a, um, a lot of effort, and we're in the final stages of this right now, but uh, we're going to be releasing some automated systems that use machine learning to perform what's known as QAQC, that's quality assurance and quality control, on raw data as it arrives at our platform. Mm. And so by looking at and working with actual data analysts and engineers uh, and, and looking at historic data, uh, if this is true, what we call supervised machine learning, where a data analyst can actually train the machine to become a data analyst and perform QAQC on it. And, you know, maybe not to the 100% level, but, you know, if we can eliminate and make immediate 95% of the QAQC that needs to go on, uh, you know, that that's a huge improvement over what exists today. And so we're looking at this as basically a foundational technology that once it is in place and adopted, it's going to make it a lot easier for communities to, to to automate things like I and I, like forecasting CSOs, like you know, looking at at uh, wastewater-based epidemiology data, right? I mean, if you talk about something where you want to make sure that your data has gone through a rigorous QAQC. This is something that that we will be able to do, and super importantly, we'll be able to do it in near real time. It, it's not data that has to be looked at. Uh, in the rearview mirror for the past 30 days, uh, you know, we can run the QAQC on it um, nearly immediately as the data comes in. And I think you're going to see that being, again, as I mentioned, foundational to everything else that happens in the coming years. Awesome stuff. Great. Well, Kevin, I appreciate the chance to catch up with you. Uh, very interesting stuff that's happening out there with coronavirus and yeah. wastewater epidemiology. Um, like you've you've explained it's sure to keep evolving and expanding it's going to be fascinating to watch but um yeah, yeah thank you so much for your time thank you travis i appreciate your uh, intellectual curiosity and uh you've always got good questions to ask all right take care words on water